the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Well, thank you, sir. Good afternoon to you, and welcome. Uh, not to the sir. I mean, we would say good afternoon to the announcer, too, but, but that good afternoon was actually actually directed at you personally. Yes, I'm looking through your radio. We have technology. AI is amazing these days. No, I don't dare say that because... <laughs> Miles, there'll be somebody out in the audience that will say, really? Wow. And suddenly it's all over Facebook. Not true. No, no AI was used in the preparation of tonight's radio program. And if you listen long enough, you'll probably you'll probably find plenty of evidence of that. All right. Lots to talk about on today's program. Uh, you are perhaps one of many across the greater San Francisco Bay region over the last um, couple of weeks receiving little items in the mail from from the tax collector's office and uh, you know it varies from city to city but but uh, most usually it's the assessor's office or maybe the uh, tax collector's office for your county that sends out your annual property tax bill that is uh, due November 1st technically delinquent by the 10th of December and likewise due February 1 technically delinquent by the 10th of April if you're like most folks you wait till at least I do the first of December and the 1st of April to send that contribution off. And if you've taken note, even though there's been some softening of real estate and maybe you might even be fortunate enough to be in an area where there was some reassessments taking place, for the most part, that number goes up year after year after year. And when you add to it the ability of sort of uh, tacking on extra little goodies, a bond measure for this, one for that, they want, you know, more money for the police, better street lighting, increased parks, bond measure for the school. Before you know it, even at one point something percent of the assessed property value, it can add up to real money really quickly and take a major chunk undoubtedly out of your family's budget. Well, if you were shocked, like many, to get your most recent property tax bill, hang on to your seat, folks, because if the California state legislature gets its way, that number will look like child's play. And for those of us that have been in our homes for a while and enjoyed the benefits of Proposition 13, even you folks that have bought recently, your time is coming when you'll look back and say, wow, you know, I'm, I'm paying more than maybe others, but it could be worse. Yeah, well, yeah, it could be worse, and it's about to get worse if the legislature gets its way. Let's get an update. Susan Shelley joins us, President of Communications for the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association. Susan, always a delight and an education to talk with you. I think the timing of our conversation uh, really good, given the fact that many of us over just the last week or two have been opening up our property tax bills with some sense of shock and dismay and, and undoubtedly a grumbling frustration as we write the check. But as I suggest, if... Um, ACA1 
uh, goes into fruition, this is going to look like child's play, financially speaking. Oh, you are so right. You are exactly right that it could get so much worse. But the good news is that all of these things have to go on the ballot. So we have the opportunity to defeat them, and we have to defeat them. We have to defeat ACA 1 because that's a direct attack on Prop 13, not the part that protects your assessed value from going up more than 2%, but the part that protects you from tax increases that are extra on top of that. So currently... Special taxes require a two-thirds vote in order to pass and wind up very often on your property tax bill. Sometimes they're sales taxes, but more often they're bonds or parcel taxes that wind up on the property tax bill. It currently takes a two-thirds vote to pass taxes like that for a particular purpose, but if ACA 1 is approved by the voters next November, it will drop to 55%, and that makes it much easier to pass them, and many more of them will pass. Supposedly, it doesn't apply to everything. It applies to infrastructure, which is everything. So it's, it will be whatever they pour a puddle of concrete next to, your taxes will be raised with a 55% vote of the electorate instead of the much more protective two-thirds standard in Prop 13 right now. And let me interrupt and break that down for, for listeners because, you know, I, I took a moment to kind of look at some historical votes in terms of certain measures and, and the way voting habits tend to be in, in states like California, for example, which is, of course, home to us. And it's interesting to know when you say, well, wait a minute now, guys, so you're saying right now it's a two-thirds vote, so basically 66% to pass, you're going to drop that down to 55%. Well, it's an only 11% difference. Here's the thing. Quite often, the way these proposals are written in very confusing language, and I listen, we're all busy, we're raising kids, taking care of families, jobs to go to, all of that. I doubt anybody sits down with that big, you know, what is a 100-plus page booklet that gets sent out every, uh, uh, every election cycle that has the candidate statements and all the statements regarding the, the propositions and what we're voting on and so on and so forth. We look at the top, let, raise your hand and admit, you look at the top-line description, and if it seems to be okay with you, you vote against it or you vote in favor of it, not realizing oftentimes that the, what the big print giveth, the little print taketh away, the language can oftentimes be very deceptive, so much so that that margin of 11% between 55 versus 66 can be the difference between foisting unnecessary taxes on us or not. And so, even though some might argue that this seems to be kind of subtle when you do the real number crunching, Susan, it's quite alarming how easily they could push some really ridiculous stuff towards us. And if you look at that top column in your property tax bill, you begin to realize, my goodness, you're paying thousands of dollars in all these additional goodies that they tack on. That is absolutely true. And it's election after election after election. One, which will be on next November's ballot, if that passes, then every tax on the ballot at the same time with it will pass with a 55% margin instead of the two-thirds that it says in the ballot book that it needs. So it's quite sneaky. It's not quite retroactive. It's sort of instantaneous. And you can expect that a lot of cities will be looking to put tax increases on the ballot for everything, for, for transit, 
for any anything that qualifies as infrastructure and also for all the affordable housing projects that many people who are in the homeless industrial complex are trying to get built uh, with these big contracts that make a lot of people rich and cost, well, in Los Angeles, up to $800,000 a unit for some of these housing projects that are supposedly for low-income housing for the homeless. And that's just obviously not sustainable, but they're going to just keep raising your taxes for it in every election, and the problem will never go away. And, you know, looking at the vagueness of the language, I, I kind of got into the weeds here and said, well, they make references to uh, the 1% limit that would authorize a city, county, uh, or special district levy and add valerum tax to service bonded indebtedness incurred to fund the construction, reconstruction, rehabilitation, or replacement of quote-unquote public infrastructure, affordable housing, or permanent supportive housing, or the acquisition of lease of real property property for those purposes, on and on it goes. You think, it takes a lawyer to understand that. Yeah, well, let me tell you this, a lawyer wrote that and is intentionally vague, particularly since it doesn't define what public infrastructure is. I'll give you folks a case in point. Near very where the station is, I watched about six years ago, the city tear up all of the curbing right there at the corners, you know, where you cross the street, and uh, reshape it all so that it was wheelchair accessible. Well, that was a nice gesture of them. They spent weeks doing this and I'm sure spent thousands of dollars doing it. Then a couple of years later, they came back and tore it all out again and replaced all the curbing with now the dot maps so that in addition to wheelchair access, it's also user-friendly for the site impaired. Okay, that's not such a bad thing. All right, we can go along with that. Fast forward a couple of more years now. What have they decided? Since San Jose has done so well with creating the hard 90 turns at all the corners, by the way, that's tongue-in-cheek, because actually the number of pedestrian injuries and deaths in San Jose since they implemented this project four years ago has skyrocketed. What's happened? Now they're tearing out all those curbs and corners yet once again and to the tune of more tens of thousands of dollars being spent so they can make nice hard 90s. My point in all of this, Susan, is that, you know, they they can call anything infrastructure. And before you know it, it slips underneath the guidelines of just a simple 55 percent to be approved. And before you know it, you're paying for all kinds of stuff, including tearing out and replacing the curbs at the corner two, three, four times over. Exactly. And the interesting thing here is that they can pass general taxes that go into the general fund where the city council will vote to spend the money in a public process, transparent public process on how that money will be appropriated. They can pass general taxes with a simple majority, but they don't put those on the ballot because voters have had it with higher taxes and they won't say yes. So the rest of it is all trickery. What they're doing is they're spending the money you already pay on things you would never vote for, and then they're coming to the voters for a tax increase for ambulance service, for firefighters, for public safety on the streets. Whatever is polling well, that's what they want to raise your taxes for. Well, that makes it a special tax. That means it it needs a two-thirds vote. And what they're doing is they're trying to knock that two-thirds vote down to 55%. And eventually, they'll probably try to knock it down to a simple majority. undoubtedly. They just want to make it easier to raise your taxes. All right. So the big question here is, what do we need to do? As folks that are already in the state with some of the highest rates of taxation, be it excise tax, income tax, property tax, how can we respond? 
Well, here's the best thing that you can do to have an impact is to watch the city council and county board of supervisors and any other local bodies that might put a tax on the ballot. Watch them like a hawk in November because if they put something on the ballot that's a local tax for March, you can write a ballot argument. You can call the city clerk's office or the county clerk's office, and you can write a ballot argument that will be in the voter guide, which can make a huge difference when voters are trying to understand what these things are. And they do a Google search, and up will come your ballot argument telling people that this is a tax for something that you for or whatever the problem with it is. And that can be really helpful, and everybody at the local level can do that in your own city, in your own county, with your own transit district, or any of the others that want to put a tax on your on your ballot. Keep an eye on those agendas. You can see them on their websites, and just keep watching for these tax proposals, because obviously they won't get a lot of publicity. Uh, there's not a lot of local news coverage very often of these kinds of meetings. But as a voter, you can just watch those agendas on the website, keep an eye on them in November, and then write a ballot argument to inform all the voters in the area that that is a tax increase and how much it's going to cost. All right, some good advice and more available, by the way, at the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association website. It's real easy to go to HJTA, think Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association hjta.org that's hjta.org our thanks to susan shelley president of communications for that update from the howard jarvis taxpayers association if i might a postscript because she said something that's critically important there in terms of watching what your local city council is doing you know, we've been following the story here for many weeks now about some shenanigans pulled by the city council of union city that sent notice out to people that live 100 feet or less in a residential neighborhood from a proposed recreational marijuana store. So that means if you lived 102 feet away, you got no notification whatsoever. Even still, city council chamber meetings got packed. City council said, yeah, we know we've already got two stores, but we love that tax revenue. We're going to get ourselves some more. And yeah, we know that a security guard just got shot four days before at one of the pre-existing recreational marijuana stores in Union City. But we don't care because we want that tax money. And um, three of the members, the mayor and uh, two members of the city council, Scott Sakakihara and Jaime Patino, voted in favor of it. Because it's all about the money. And there was very little notification that went out, kind of done in secrecy. Now, of course, they've been waiting weeks and weeks and months, undoubtedly hoping that even though the folks in that neighborhood that would be impacted by um, the increased access to marijuana, the young children, there's a school nearby, places where the kids hang out, a senior citizens complex, residential neighborhood, all of that. Even even though all of those realities are, are, are quite there and apparent, I, I can almost guarantee you that the next ploy is going to be they're going to wait. They'll probably take the final vote Sometime in November. Yeah, let's do it maybe maybe the council meeting prior to Thanksgiving. Folks are busy. They're traveling. They're buying turkeys. They're getting ready for Christmas. They won't notice when we slip it in because people just don't pay attention. Don't be one of those. Know what's going on at your kid's school board. Know what's going on in your city council meetings. I, I'm going to say this and then I'll shut up. I believe that one of the reasons why there is so much decay, moral rot, 
in our country today, why, why there is such a, a level of, of, of disambiguity politically, nationally, and everybody's at each other's throats, is because for the longest time, we as Americans got comfortable. We made our money, cared for our families, took care of our business, enjoyed our baseball, whatever. And oftentimes we left the minding of the political store up to the professionals or the people that were really big into politics, not realizing this is self-governance. This is not politics we're talking about. It's policy, policy that directly impacts your life, your family, your pocketbook. And so if you take the attitude, too busy, don't have time to go there, they're going to pull stunts behind the scenes. They'll not only reach their hand into your wallet, they'll get their moral influence into your schools, and they'll begin to even control your family. You don't believe it? Listen to what we talk about on this show every day. So I say that just to encourage you. Be involved in whatever town you live in. Be engaged. Be aware. At least check out the agenda. See what they're talking about. Maybe go out to a city council meeting. It's far easier to stop the damage before it gets started than to try to reverse all that which the grasshoppers and the locusts have eaten. This is self-governance. So let's self-govern, shall we? Again, on the line, online at HJTA for Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association, uh, uh, yeah, English Craig, HJTA.org, Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association.org. A timeout back with more. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Check an email here during the break. I got a quick note from a listener I hear from every now and then and said, uh, so what's the status on this uh, pot store in Union City? Well, the, the council has not rendered their final, final authorization, though there's certainly a lot of interest to push it in that direction. And I'm going to bet that if there's not a significant pushback by citizens because they're money hungry, they'll do it. Uh, let me warn you, though. Failure to be involved in this. If you live in the city of Fremont, you think, well, thank goodness, Fremont doesn't allow recreational marijuana stores. Yeah, maybe they don't. But Union City is already talking. They haven't even finalized approval from the third pot store that they're going to get ready to put in the fourth pot store at the end of Alvarado Niles Road going into Niles District. It'll be literally over the bridge from you folks in Fremont. So if you're a resident of Niles and you're thinking, well, this is a kind of a, a quaint, sleepy little section of Union City or, or of Fremont, rather, this is kind of the happy place here. Folks can go down there and be reminiscent about the days of Charlie Chaplin. Yeah, wait, because your neighbors at Union City, they're about to give it to you big time because they've already begun discussions about a fourth recreational marijuana store at the end of Alvarado Niles, just before it moves into the city of Fremont. 
So it might not be coming to your town directly, but it'll be right next door. And all the increased violent robberies and crime and burglaries that tends to tends to accompany these stores that have largely all cash businesses and very high value and attractive product to steal. Yeah, that's going to be coming your way, too. So even if you live in Fremont, you might want to drop the folks, send an email to uh, the chief of police in Union City and let him know what you think about more recreational pot stores. You know, it just not only a demonstration of the erosion of morality in this country, but the kind of greed by city leaders who can't manage budgets. So instead of controlling spending, they just increase the income and they'll do it by any way that they can, even if it means bringing dangers stores into residential neighborhoods all because they want the money they got to make sure those pensions get paid all right enough about that let's turn a corner onto uh, other topics shall we linda goldfarb joins me as she has done before linda is a um, leading contributor to the um, series we talked about the new book leading ladies discover your god-grown strategy for success recently published by bold vision books and linda joins us to kind of pick up on where we left off last time. And hey, Linda, great to have you back with us. Hey, Craig, how are you? It's always good to be here. Now, I got to tell you, I, some folks know that that uh, I, I do co-hosting of a financial advice and retirement planning program. And uh, on the show, we often talk about um, different personality types, largely in the arena of money. They break down into two, savers and spenders. And the argument right. typically goes, you know, when you get two savers together, boy, that's a great thing. That means you're going to have a lot of money in the bank. You'll probably not enjoy much of life because you're afraid to spend. When you get a pair of spenders together, oh boy, look out. That means you have no money in the bank whatsoever. And then, of course, the third category, the mixture of a saver and a spender, which often means an awful lot of conflict going on within the family. And largely, this comes down to the differing ways in which we approach money. A lot of it comes from our family of origin and our education and our relationship with money. And so, at the end of the day, understanding money personality types, critically important. But then, too, the broader sense, and you talk a lot about this, uh, the notion of these uh, personality assessments giving us a better understanding, particularly when it comes to not only marriage relationships, but even parenting, to understand that, you know, one kid behaves so differently than the other doesn't mean that he or she is necessarily bad or didn't pay any attention. It just might mean that they fit into an entirely different personality category. Tell us more about that. That's a great question, and you are absolutely right. There's not one better than the other. As a matter of fact, Craig, the study that I have done or the background work that I've done on brain science and how the different personalities are showing up as far as, man, this this one personality really does connect with this other one easily. This one connects with this one easily. Nowhere in the mix does it differentiate between intellect. So intellect doesn't come into a factor here. There's not one personality that's smarter than the other. And I think that that's very you know that's very important for us to bring to the forefront as we discuss the differing between the the children that we have in the family one is not bad and the other good they're just different i had a family of five 
that walked through one of my parenting and personality courses, and this was over an eight-week period, Craig, and it was an odd pairing, but it really did bring out the impact of not truly understanding personalities and how important it is for the parents. The parents had very similar personalities. Maybe one was stronger in mobilizer and the other stronger in organizer. And then two of their children had the same personalities. But the third one, third one didn't. And when they came into the class, into the course, it was, we need to fix this one because she's broken. And I'm looking at them going, well, tell me why, why you believe she's broken. She's not like us. She does everything entirely different. This is how we function as a family. This is what we do. This is how we think. And she comes up against everything. And about three weeks into the course, they came up and said, oh, my goodness, what in the world have we done? We have put her in a box where we were not allowing God's design to come through that child. We were deciding that she needed to be more like us and that being more like us was the right road. And that's what we come up against, Craig, so often with our children. If our children have different personalities, the easygoing one, which would be like the the peacemaker, I call them the stabilizers. You know, they're easygoing. They don't make a lot of fuss. Oh, people sometimes don't even recognize that they're around because they're just, you know, they're just, they're there. They're compliant and easy to have things done. So, or easy to get things done. And then you have the leader personality, which is a little bit more outgoing. This is an extrovert. And the leader who is my mobilizer, they want to get things done. They want to move a lot faster. They want the peacemaker who moves slower to hurry up and speed up. A parent who is a leader mobilizer personality, and they have a child who is a peacemaker stabilizer personality, their tendency is to see that child as being lazy. And if they proceed that way without truly recognizing, no, by God's design, this child processes slower. Give them a little bit more time. They're not lazy. They want to do what everyone else does. They like being around people as well, but they need their downtime and they need a little bit more time or front time to know that changes are coming. So that's just one dynamic that needs to have enlightenment, (laughs) for a better word, in the families. And when we truly get that our children aren't out to get us, that they're just designed as, you know, as, as we hear raise up a child and how they should go and they will never depart from it. I look at that as raise up a child in their design. And 
then they're going to be exactly who God wants them to be. You know, it's interesting you bring this up because I think, for example, the way we, we approach things in the business world, we know that there is the profile of the individual, for example, that may not always be the best talker. They're kind of a loner. They eat by themselves at lunch. They don't really hang too much with the other employees. But boy, get them in the office and get them behind the, the, the computer working on an Excel spreadsheet or dealing with numbers, and they're phenomenal. I mean, they're just their attention to detail is over the top fantastic. So from a managerial standpoint, we would say, you know, that kind of personality profile who is good with the real minute <coughs> pardon me, the minutia, the details, the numbers, that's the person you're going to assign to an important counting and bookkeeping or auditing job. That's probably not the person you're going to say, well, we're going to send so-and-so out, we're going to put them in charge of the sales department. They're shy, they're bashful, they're awkward, they just, you know, they're, they're not good around people that they don't know. It's not a flaw, it's just that they are wired a little bit differently. They've got a different kind of personality. So it sounds like really what you're suggesting here, Linda, is that the earlier on parents study this and begin to get an understanding of, particularly when there's multiple kids in the family, who kind of fits into what category is going to make life a lot easier because then that means your instructive style, your teaching style, your motivation style, the kind of tasks that you give them are probably all going to be very different. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you're not going to push their head down, Craig. I think we very quickly we do that in a family dynamic because parents want their children to be successful. They want their children to be liked. Now, that would be more if you have a socializer mom or socializer dad. They like to be liked and they want their children liked. And so if they have Johnny who sits off to the side when everyone else is actively involved in conversation, they're going to say, oh, no, poor Johnny is not going to be liked. So I need to make life fun for him. And Johnny is looking at parent A coming over and saying, oh, no, mom's going to make me go and play with these kids. I really don't want to do that. I'm fine right where I am. And then you have, it could be um, Bobby, and Bobby is the analytical. Bobby is the one that studies everything. Bobby's the one, as you were saying, they step back, they're looking. It's not that, they're, that they don't like people or being in with people. They are very much the researchers. They are the ones that are going to be observant they're looking for opportunity, they're watching, they're very intellectual. My husband is this personality, and when I would say to him, or the first time that I said to him, Craig, personality is like 99.9% .9 correct all the time, and he said, you're right. <laughs> and so for me, I was like, okay, well, he's not being arrogant, but you know, in the workplace, Craig, it can come across as that. Because this person who has done the research is they're waiting for someone to ask them, what did you discover? And they want to share it with them. And here's what can happen in the work dynamic as well. When you mentioned, well, you're probably not going to put this personality where they're, you know, in charge of the sales staff. Um, it would depend. It would depend on what you wanted to see from the sales staff, because this person would absolutely make sure that they 
turned in the sheet that needed to be in, that they did it in a timely fashion. And this person can be sensitive to the life happenings of the other members of the organization. Now, if it was a mobilizer, get it done personality, this one is the driver. This one is the one who's gonna look at the sales staff and say, just get it done. I don't care what you're doing. That's not my problem. That's on you. I need it done. I need it done by this time. And so the sensitivity factor might be a little less there. And then if you have the stabilizer who is the more laid back, the easygoing, I'm not gonna cause or ruffle any feathers, what we have found with this personality, Craig, is that when they are put into a workplace and in that workplace, their job description says, this is what you have to do. This is why you have to do it. They will rise to that position and they will be exhausted when they get home. Mm. And then you have the socializer. The socializer who is great as being the head or, or the, the front person of an organization. This is the face. This is the voice. This is the one everyone goes, oh, this is a great social person. They are great at events. They want to meet everybody. They do not get tired meeting everybody. And yet they may need to have a keeper that will make sure they stay on the timeline, make sure that they don't over obligate because they'll be the one that'll say oh that's a great idea we can do that and then they'll have one of their workmates over to the side shaking their head going we can't do that we've got to discuss it first don't don't commit so all four in their blends we have blends but when we look at the four dominant personalities and the mobilizer who gets it done, the socializer who's the life of the party, stabilizer who's a peacekeeper, organizer who loves order. When they are all matched as part of a team, it is one of the most dynamic, forward-moving, organiz organizational positioning that you can do. Because not only will things get done, everyone will enjoy what they're doing everyone will feel like they're seen because the you know the one who's in the background they want to make sure everyone's okay the one who's outgoing the social they want to make sure everyone is having a little bit of fun organizers going to keep them on task and the mobilizers going to when we can have a blend of all of those as leaders because they can all be leaders they're just going to have a different style I laughed a moment ago because I was <laughs> conducting some interviews today and I had a, a gentleman that was assisting me kind of roll the different folks through into a, a meeting one after another. And after I'd finished the conversation in the recording, I, I'd start to talking. Uh, Craig, we got another guest and he, he did a excellent job keeping me on track because otherwise I'm a talker. I just keep going. And before you know it, the time has run out. In fact, I'm getting a look from my engineer saying, yeah, I understand that, Craig. Boy, do I get that. We're going to pause for a moment. When we come back, I want to spend a couple of minutes, Linda, talking about how parents can go about 
identifying these differing personality traits early on and then learning how to most ideally harness those traits so that your expectations for each of your kids is all set appropriately. Linda Goldfarb with us today. She is one of the award-winning contributors to the recently released Leading Ladies, Discover Your God-Grown Strategy for Success, published by Bold Vision Books. She is also one of the uh, creators of Linked for Parents that helps you maximize family connections, gives you a guide to understanding your kids' personalities, and most importantly, how everybody can work together in peace and harmony. That sound like a welcoming idea? We'll get back to more of the conversation right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. I would suspect for many parents that, you know, in the busyness of raising young kids, you may not be closely paying attention to their personality traits. And I think a lot of parents are even more focused on how to mold that personality into what you think it ought to be. And while there's certainly degrees in which we can and should, quite frankly, be training up a child, I think there's also an understanding that, you know, if the kid is an oak tree, you're not going to turn him into a walnut tree as hard as you try. So make sure, though, that that oak grows big and tall and strong, likewise the walnut tree. But how do you learn the difference, and how can you ascertain that early on enough so that you can maintain a sense of peace and harmony within the household? Well, to get some insights as to these differing personality traits and how you as a parent can ideally harness them, we're talking with Linda Goldfarb. Linda is an award-winning creator of Linked, the Quick Guide to Personalities series, also contributes to the recently released Leading Ladies, Discover Your God-Grown Strategy for Success. In fact, we made a series out of the book here on the talk show. Hope you uh, had a chance to catch that. So let's talk about this, Linda, in terms of, of learning early on the differing personality traits. And, and, and maybe certainly between husband and wife, it might be good to start there so that you understand more about why does your husband act the way he does or your wife has this weird quirk that really isn't weird. It's just different than you. Absolutely. And Craig, that is the best place to start. When we parent, the best way for me to parent my child is for me to understand myself, for me to understand how I'm designed, what my tendencies are, both the the good and the not so healthy tendencies. And when I can identify myself, then I realize quickly that's why I respond or react to someone and when we react that is a knee jerk I'm going to do this and that really does kind of let you know quickly what personality you most likely fall under when we look at the mobilizer the leader personality this is the one who will step out in leadership this is an independent child it's an independent parent This is a parent who likes things done their way. This is a child who will push to have things done their way. They will they will push and see what boundaries are in the house. And the parent may say, why are you always up against me? Your wife, even as a little one, as a little bitty, these are going to be the ones that are very loud. They're loud. They'll go and they'll sit next to a sibling and they'll start telling the sibling what to do. This is that person who will easily take charge. What they need in the family is they need to know that one of the parents is in charge and that it's not their job. That will actually give them a little bit of peace 
because they'll know that there is a leader figure in the home. And when a parent is not afraid of this child and gives them roles of leadership in the home, which could be anything depending on their on their ages, right? It can be you can decide today if you're going to put your clothes on before or after breakfast. Now, they're going to put their clothes on, their clothes for school. They're going to get dressed, but they get to choose. Do I get dressed before or after breakfast? That gives them a choice and it helps them feel secure in who they are. This is just a simple thing that a parent can do. If a parent has the talker, like it sounds like you and I have that very similar trait there, Craig, the talker, the life of the parties, um, socializer, what the parent is going to want to do is allow that child time to talk. This child will talk. They'll talk all the time. But when you can designate a time and say, you know what, in the mornings for breakfast, I want you to tell me all that you're excited about school. What are you excited about school today? And that child's going to tell you. And you know, this happened and this and this and this. Your others, like your peacemaker, they're going to sit there and go, you go ahead and keep talking. I don't want to talk. And then the thinker is trying to figure out why the talker is talking so much, but they're not going to say anything. And the leader just wants to get their food eaten and out of there. So, but the parent, if they will allow the natural talker time to talk, they will endear themselves to the child and the child will think they see me. Then we go to the stabilizer, the peacemaker. And this is the one, maybe you feel like you want to get them talking. All they want is for you to see them and be with them. They may not want to talk, but they may want to sit near you. They may want you to participate in something that's a little more low key and maybe just asking them some simple questions like, well, how, how do you like doing this? Or how did you figure out you could take this apart and put it back together? Tell me a little bit of what's going on. And we don't force them, but we listen. This is, this is a child who is compliant, who will not get upset for not, for not being seen until they've had their limit and then they can basically implode and you will say i never knew there was a problem yeah and so i think it's important time, to underscore that because oftentimes i think parents because you know we 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 tend to uh, not only have a sense of expectations in our own mind but oftentimes even project that on a child i mean just ask any right. kid whose whose father always loved baseball but never got you know got an opportunity for to play for a team recognizes right. his son's got a good you know pitching hand pitching arm rather and is now forcing that kid to the point where the kid, right. you know, kind of like baseball and now, thanks to dad, absolutely hates it, but the dad wants to vicariously live out his dream through the child. And I and I think it comes down to the notion, as you're suggesting, through all of this this necessity, really, to engage in, in understanding your child's differing personalities is to understand that just because they don't meet your expectations or do things the way you think they ought to be done, doesn't mean that they're defective. It might just mean that they're different 
and they're different. And I would share with all with my parents all the time. You may look at your child and say, oh, look, he's got your eyes. Oh, he has your nose. Well, here's the truth. They are parents image. They're made in God's image. Bingo. And they're designed by him to be who he needs them to be. And if we can identify that when they're younger, then we bring them up in their strengths. And it's amazing what they can do. I've had I've had several children, exactly as you're saying, where their parent is a fast go-getter, outgoing, and they see success for their child as being the same as them. And when they can release that, when they can sit down, and communication is key here, Craig, when they can sit down and look across at their child and say, if you could do three things this week and it didn't cost us, you know, 10 tons of money, what would you like to do? And just give them time because two of them, your your stabilizer peacemaker and your organizer thinker, they're not going to answer you spontaneously. So you might need to say to them the beginning of the week, I'd like to talk to you on Wednesday or Thursday and let's see if we can find something that you might like to do in the next two weekends. Something that we could maybe do together. So you're giving them time, but then please make sure and come back because the organizer will be waiting if you do not come back and do what you said you were going to do, that will upset them. But then midweek, you go in and go, have, did you get a chance to think about it? And if they say, I'd like to sit and just watch this show with you, don't tell them why that's not a good idea. Just do what they asked you to do. And... With the other two personalities that are more outgoing, they're going to want activity of some kind. And not that the, the stabilizer or organizer won't have activities, but they're not going to be as high energy. And always knowing, if we ask them a question and they give us an answer and they feel that they are safe in answering, not that they have to answer the way the parent wants them to answer because... We can lord things over our kids. We can push in a way that we don't even know we're pushing. And they're going to give the answer that they think you want. So we need to give them freedom. And in that we say, really, whatever it is that you want to do. I know that we like to do certain things, but what would you like to do? And then plan it and do it. And watch how your child gravitates to you more. Yeah, and undoubtedly so, because you're now empowering them to engage not only in what they enjoy, but also, dependent upon what that interest or skill set might be, uh, maybe even help to foster uh, their skills and abilities. You know, mom and dad may not be able to even bang out chopsticks on the piano, but if the kid is showing some interest, don't discourage it. You might have yourself a concert pianist at your hands. Linda Goldfarb, we sure appreciate the insights. Information, by the way, on uh, Linda's work. We've been talking about uh, much that she's got in the Linked for Parents um, Personality Assessment. Check her out online at Linda Goldfarb, Linda G-O-L-D-F-A-R-B, lindagoldfarb.com. That's lindagoldfarb.com. Linda, thanks so much for the time. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.